For the rest of us here, let's turn in our scriptures, the Pew Bibles, or the Bibles you brought to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. Uh, as you know from the candles, we are in the season of Advent, and so we are, are taking this time, putting it aside, and saying, let's focus on, let's think about who, what are the various witnesses to Advent that we read about uh, in the Bible, and so we're just looking at, at the classic, maybe, texts uh, that surround Christmas, that surround the incarnation, the birth of our Savior, and uh, looking at their witnesses, and what do they teach us about this time, and how do they help us to uh, celebrate Christ more in, in a deeper way. And to set up maybe this passage uh, this morning, let me set it up like this. Um, I'm sure everybody's familiar with Amazon.com, and uh, you, most of you do, a lot of you do some shopping on there. I know for our family, we'll go there for just kind of everyday items, stuff that is may not here at the local store, or maybe it's a little bit cheaper on Amazon, and so we'll order it from there. Uh, with, you know, just everyday stuff, clothing or books or supplements, things like that, things we just can't find around here, kind of our go-to place, uh, especially because many times it's just a little bit uh, cheaper and you get some uh, two-day shipping on it and stuff. And I'm sure some of you are going to... Uh, Go to Amazon for Christmas, Christmas time. Um, you'll get some stuff you may not order normally. Uh, maybe the one of the most unusual things that we've ever ordered, I think, uh, from Amazon is a ukulele. Uh, I can tell you about that at another time, but we bought a ukulele uh, there. Uh, but I did come across this list that Forbes puts out, and they made it. It's kind of this top ten list of the most extravagant things that you can buy on amazon.com okay the most extravagant things that you can buy there and i was surprised by by this to be honest uh here's some of the 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 best ones that i saw okay so get your christmas list out uh tropical wood guitar for 729 dollars okay uh a gucci leather shoulder bag guys that means a purse for $1,025, okay? I mean, it's only three fig- four figures, not a big deal. Uh, a coffee maker uh, for $500. Uh, and this is where it gets serious, the last two ones here. Uh, a two-carat diamond pendant for $11,000. $11,000. Uh, and this is my favorite. Um, an ivory dial men's watch for $90,000. I, don't, I mean, I looked on Amazon, and it's really there. There's only one left in stock, and so y'all better get after it. I mean, if you want to pull out your phone just right now, I understand. Uh, You've got to get after that. I mean, who would have thought that Amazon has these kind of gifts that they offer with two-day shipping? I mean, all this crazy stuff that you can buy, this expensive, extravagant things that you can purchase there. Well, in a similar way, as we read this passage, as we go into detail about it, what we're quickly going to find and say to ourselves is, who would have thought that these men, coming from where they're coming, could bring such gifts to this baby Savior, this Savior Jesus Christ? Who would have thought these men could do such a thing, these wise men or these magi? And so as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word and dive in and see how that God could do such a thing and what it means for us here this morning. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we'll read the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, is the Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming in the house, they saw the child with his mother and Mary, mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to go back to Her- not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for this uh, story, this picture of worship an arrival, an advent. We pray that it would teach us and instruct us here as we gather. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. For many, one of the, uh, maybe for many of us, some of us, um, I put this on my list, all-time favorite Christmas movies would be uh, Christmas Vacation. Remember, it's got uh, Clark Griswold in it, played by Chevy Chase. And he is just, I mean, to be honest, he's just this cheesy dad and all he wants to do is just have a great Christmas uh, for his family. And so you get caught up in all the, the kind of over-the-top stuff that he gets into to celebrate Christmas with his family. I mean, you've got the, the outdoor lights and yard art, I guess you could call it, that just, you know, lights up uh, the, the whole street and is just overwhelming in all that it, all that it can do. Uh, there's the meal that they have together. Uh, it's with that big old turkey, and of course it's dried out, and that's a disappointment. And the dog gets into it, and it's just chaos that comes after it. They've got all the family in town. They've got their, their big old Christmas tree in the living room there, and there's a squirrel in it, and the cat gets involved. He sees the squirrel, and basically the tree just ignites, you know, just one thing after the other, just this nightmarish kind of scenario where Clark is just trying to put together this great Christmas for his family. And, of course, you, you know what's behind all this, what he's doing in secret, that he's trying to get this special gift uh, for his loved ones there. He's trying to get this pool put in, this in-ground in pool that he is dreaming about, and he's already put some money down, and he's got this little model at work about what it's going to look like. And, and he's relying on this, this bonus that he gets from his company every year. Like clockwork, they get a bonus. He's like, I'm going to spend that money on this pool. It's going to be great. My kids are going to love me. My wife's going to love me. We're just going to have this great Christmas when I roll out this big surprise for them. And, of course, you know what happens. Uh, there's no Christmas bonuses. Uh, the boss is, is pulling the strings on that because they're just, he's just trying to cut back expenses. And Clark hears about that. He's depressed about it. He's deeply sad about it. He gets angry about it. He goes and um, off, and he just can't believe that something like this is is going to happen. Of course, Uncle Eddie comes in and he does something and you don't know what happens. You just got to watch the movie. But, but Clark is, just wants to have this special Christmas, special time with his family, and it just ends in disaster no matter what he does. 
And all of us, as we think about Christmas, we think about the season, we want it to be special, special time with our families, special time of, of really giving uh, to one another, making it memorable. And sometimes, more than not, it's a struggle to do that, a struggle to make that real in our lives, and particularly spiritually. We often come to this time, it's like, okay, this year I'm going to focus on Christ and remember this is why he came and, and the, the significance and weight of that and the importance of that for me and my spiritual life, and we want to go deeper in that way. And enter this passage, this passage of the Magi, the wise men going and pursuing uh, baby Jesus in Bethlehem, and, it, and using this passage for us and how it, it helps us uh, to get some significance uh, from Christmas, to get some, some weightiness about this time of year and, the, and why we are worshiping and, uh, and celebrating uh, the birth of Christ in our lives. And so to get there, I want to talk about uh, three things. They all begin with P. I want to talk about the people, I want to talk about the problem, and I want to talk about the point. The people, the problem, and the point. The first one is, is that the people, and if you read this passage, and you heard about the wise men or the magi, and you think, you know what, that sounds like a hymn. It's, this sounds like a hymn that we have, have sung before, and it's We Three Kings. And it's a beautiful hymn, and the church has sung that for, for Christmases after Christmas after Christmas. But if you line that hymn up with, with the passage, there's some problems. Uh, there's some things that don't line up. Uh, the, the passage doesn't say that there's three kings. Uh, typically, we pull out that it must be three kings because they give three gifts, and the gifts that they give are so valuable, so over the top, uh, that they must come from royalty because only royalty could afford such a gift. So it must be three kings, and that's why we celebrate that of course, I can give three, three gifts to my child. It doesn't mean that there's three of me. It's just that we don't see that in Scripture. Something else that sometimes gets pulled out with this is we sometimes think that when the Magi arrive, when they get into to town and they see uh, Jesus there, that they've, they're there with the shepherds, that they're all this, it's kind of this uh, big kind of birth announcement kind of gathering, and they're all there taking in uh, the the. the the implications of this child being born, when that's not the case. The, the child is, is in a home right now, and it's in a different place, and this is at a, a different period, a different time. So the question then becomes, well, what do we learn about these men? What do we learn about these magi or these wise men? Uh, the translation this morning that we read, that they translated it as magi. They translated it as, as wise men that are coming to town. Regardless how it's translated, think about that word magi, uh, being meaning this. It means astrologers. It means mag- magicians. It means interpreters of dreams. Think of them as individuals who are seekers of truth, and they're, they're seeking truth in such a way as to um, serve those, serve the individual that they uh, are employed by. And so they're like counsels, counselors to, to a king. They're, maybe we would think about maybe as the, the president's cabinet, offering insight and, and wisdom to particular situations and, and details that need to happen. And apparently these magi here, they're good with astrology. They're good with the stars. Uh, they've discovered this new star in the skies, and it's significant and it's important. And it says to them, okay, we've got to follow this. We've got to pursue it. Somebody significant has been born. That's what we're inferring from it. And so they take off for Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a big place, a big city. Somebody important is coming into the world. They're probably going to be in Jerusalem. So they arrive there uh, to check things out. Now, here's the thing about that word magi. It's 
It's not used often in the Bible, but when, it's, when it is used, it's usually used in a negative way. This is the only, Matthew uses it in a positive way, but it's the only place that we find it used in a really positive way. If you're a Christian and you're writing these gospel accounts, uh, there'd be a little tension that you feel. It's like, I don't know if I want to include this because God is not for this kind of stuff. God is not for these kind of magicians or astrology that's going on here. And so it's kind of scandalous, if you will, to include this in the account. And so I think because it is in the account, because it is there, it has something to teach us. It has something to uh, to show us. One commentator makes this observation. You know, there's a difference. Today, there's a difference between astronomy and astrology. And there's, a, there's kind of a clear line. But back then, there was, it was more vague. And astrology is not, it's not favored in the Bible. It's, it's, it's frowned upon. It's not something that should be uh, pursued or taken apart, be a part of in, in our lives. And they're easy to make fun of these kind of people, in a sense. We see them, a, a form of them today. And they always, I don't know if you've noticed this, they always live in the, right, the, the more poor part of town, uh, the more sketchy part of town. And they've got this supposed ability to, to tell the future. You would think if they could have this skill that they would employ that maybe for themselves. And they think, you know, I think, you know, who's, this is who's going to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to put some money down on this. I'm going to get out of living in the, the sketchy part of town. But we don't, we don't see them doing that. And it's easy to, to kind of not take them seriously here. But here I think is one thing God is, is, is showing to us by including this here in this this text here, God wants to communicate with these individuals. And he does that. He, he gets their attention with a star. He says, I, I know you know stars, and I know you um, are going to pay attention to this. And so he grabs their attention with this star, and he gets them to, to travel and hit the road with pursuing the end of where this is going uh, to lead them. These are pagan individuals. These are not, you, you know, good old Jewish boys that have grown up in a Jewish home, going to synagogue all the time, but they are outside uh, the realms of, of Israel. They're serving a pagan king, and here they are making this journey, bringing these, these weighty gifts. That's why I said at the beginning, you know, who would have thought these kind of men would make these kind of gifts uh, at this time? And I think what it does for us, us today is it reminds us that God is pursuing people that we maybe wouldn't think would ever go to church. You know, we, there are certain people in our minds who think, well, I could see God working in their lives. I could see them being at church or doing this or believing the Bible and so, and so on and so forth. But God reaching out and working in these individuals' lives, I think, reminds us that God works in people's lives that we would never expect God to be working in. You know, it is an advantage to be a Christian to be a believer. The advantage is is not that we're better than our neighbor, better than other people that we uh, traffic with. The advantage is simply that we've seen our sin and that we've seen a Savior. And And these wise men coming, these people here, remind us that God is for the nations. God is at work in the world to bring individuals to a saving knowledge of himself. And I think that's one thing these magi remind us of but I think there's, there's something else to see here, and it relates to what I'm calling the, the problem. And the problem is that the two responses that we see from two individuals, basically, in this passage. 
The first response is, I want you to think about it, it's the response of the scribes and the Pharisees and why that's a problem. So let me set it up, their problem like this. It's an illustration I heard somebody give. Uh, how many of you would admit to stalking somebody online? Okay, how many of you would admit to going on Facebook, for example, typing in the search engine their name, and you just look at all their posts, all their pictures, all their comments, and you just kind of stalked them, and you've gone after them, and you just want to, to get to know them. It's, it's what we do sometimes with social media. We think, I know this person because I saw pictures of when their baby was born, and I saw pictures of when they went on their first vacation and celebrated their first Christmas together, and I've seen them graduate, and it tricks us into thinking, I know them, but you don't really know them. It's what social media does. Uh, it says, well, I know them because I've seen all the things that they're into. I saw what they bought at Walmart last night, okay? Because you've seen that doesn't mean that you really know them in the sense of have a relationship with them. And that's the basic problem of the scribes and Pharisees, I think, in this passage. And this is why I say that. The Magi come to Jerusalem, okay? They're following the star. They, they land there, and they start to put some feelers out, asking people, hey, where's the king? We've heard about this king that's been born. What do you know about it? And Herod gets wind of that, and he pulls aside the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says to them this. We see it happening in verse 4. When he called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. Basically, these scribes and Pharisees are saying, Herod, that's an easy question. He's born in Bethlehem. I mean, it's, it's in the scripture. It's, it's there. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It's easy for them to answer that. The Magi are going to take off in a moment, and we'll get to that, that picture here in a second. But do you notice who is not with them? The scribes and the Pharisees are not going with these wise men. They're not going with the Magi. You would have thought, if anybody is going to be curious, if anybody is going to say, we need to get on this, I mean, if there's even a rumor that the Messiah has been born, that something significant is happening in Bethlehem, then we need to go there. And yet, what do they do? They don't go. They stay behind. They're just like, yeah, he's in, he's in, in Bethlehem. You can go if you want to. Uh, he's there. That's not how it's supposed to happen. Uh, you would have think, because they're familiar with all this text, that they would go and follow him. And I think that the import and the lesson for us is here is that here are these strangers from a foreign land. They're going to worship him. You think about who got to see uh, Jesus when he was born. It was shepherds. We saw them last week, very unlikely group. And now we've got these wise men or magi, a very unlikely group to be the first responders, so to speak, to this event. We don't see Israel moving towards him. And I think it has import for us today. We can say that we know him. We can think that we know him. But is that knowledge of him moving us closer to him? J.C. Ryle, a pastor, Anglican pastor from the 1900s, uh, comments on this passage like this. He says, it's not always those who have most religious privileges who give Christ the most honor. What a mournful picture this is of human nature how often the same kind of thing can be seen among ourselves. How often the very persons who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them the most. There is only too much truth in the old proverb, the nearer the church, the farther from God. I don't know about you, but I think that stings. 
And what he's saying is, is like, here are these people who know all these kinds of things about the Bible. And we know all these stats about Jesus. If I sat you down, I'd know you could list off five or six bullet points. You know, he was uh, born by Mary. Uh, he died. He did these great miracles. Uh, he rose again. He had great teaching. You have all these kind of Sunday school stats about him. But what are you doing with that knowledge? What are you doing with that truth? Is that pushing you towards him? Or is that just bringing distance between you and God? I think these scribes and Pharisees, how they respond has a lot to teach us about what we're doing with the knowledge of Christ in our own lives. The second problem uh, relates to Herod and how he responds to the Magi. They're in town and they're asking about a king. And depending on your translation, some translations say that he was troubled by that. Some translations say that he was disturbed. They're looking for a king, and that troubles him. You think about that. Well, why is that the case? There was something about their inquiry that brought, about these, brought up these insecurities. There was something that, that was going on that Herod did not like and did not want to see happen, as we see later on the text with how he responds to them in the, in the, you know, the devious way he wants to find out more things about him. The import for us today is we think about Christmas, as we think about um, growing in our walks with the Lord, is that if, if Christmas is going to have weight in our lives, if Advent's going to have weight in our lives, then we've got to see that there's a little bit of Herod inside each one of us. That there's a little bit of Herod inside each one of us. And what I mean by that, that there's in all of us this, this kind of pushback that, God, I don't want you to be in control of my life. I'm not sure I want you to have authority in my life. I like it when you answer my prayers, but I'm not sure I want you to be in control of my life. In Romans, it talks about how nobody seeks after God. And some of you hear that and think, well, that's kind of over the top. I mean, surely there are people who seek after God. Well, I think some people seek after God because they, they want something from him. I'm seeking you, God, so, so you'll give me happiness. So I'm seeking you so that you give me peace. I'm seeking you so that you'll answer my prayer. I'm seeking you so that you'll give me joy. It's, it's a seeking of God in order to get something from him. You know, it's why we can be so critical of somebody that, that marries somebody for money. It's like they, they don't really love that individual. They just want what that individual can give them. Or sometimes we'll see people who are seeking God, but they're not seeking the God of the Bible. They're seeking the God that they've made him into being, who they think God is. They're not seeking him as he's been revealed in the scriptures to us. And again, if you think this is kind of, I don't know about that, Pastor. I think you're just kind of pushing the envelope there to, to make a point. Well, think about your own life. Think about how you've sought after God in your life. How often do you find it's, it's so hard for you to pray? How else do you explain it's so hard to pray? I mean, you have the opportunity to talk to the God of the universe, the God who created something out of nothing. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. Uh, he's, there's nothing like him, nobody like him, and you get to talk to him and how hard it is for us to do that. Or think about times in your life where you said, I will never forget this. God, I'll never forget what you did, how you answered my prayer, how you got me out of this situation, how you gave me what I needed in, my, in the last moment when everything looked like it was going to fall apart. You came through for me. I'm never going to forget this. And what happens? A week goes by, two weeks go by, a month go by, and you've forgotten. You've forgotten what he's done. Or you said to yourself, I will never do this again. I will never do blank again. I, 
God, I, I know you're true. I know you're right. I know this is important. I'm never going to do this again, only to do it again. It's because there's this little bit of Herod inside all of us that does not want to have him be in control, that struggles with his authority in our life, his place in our lives. And to get to the meaning of Christmas, to get to the, the weightiness of Christmas, we've got to see that truth about us. The last point, last point here, number three, uh, the point. The point of it all is how the magi, the, how the wise men respond, the goal of their mission, so to speak. Look at verse 10 again. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they, get, and they opened their treasures and presented with, with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, this is probably where we get to the idea of three kings. They bring these extravagant gifts only royalty could give, and they, and they lay it uh, before Jesus here. But the thing I want us to think about as we think about how the, the Magi are responding is think about how diligent they are. Think about how diligent they are to travel. I mean, if you want to go to Dallas, Texas, somebody says to you this morning, you've got to go be in Dallas tomorrow, it would be no problem. I mean, you're going to go home, you're going to pack, you're going to make a phone call, or you're going to do a search online, you're going to find a ticket, and probably by lunchtime tomorrow, you're going to be in Dallas, Texas. Okay, travel is just not that big a deal today compared to what it was then. And here is these individuals, probably this significant group of people traveling at this time. It would take days. It would take weeks. This is, a long, this is not like a weekend jaunt, okay? This is, this is weeks into their schedule. It's not necessarily a safe trip. There's no guarantees. This is a dangerous time. It's a dangerous way to be traveling. There's a lot of uncertainty in what they're doing, and yet they're diligent to find this baby. They're diligent to follow this star. Again, J.C. Ryle gives us this comment on this passage. He says, about these magi, he says, they saw no miracles to convince them. Imagine when they get into that doorstep and they enter that house. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to over to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet when they saw that infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world they fell down and worshipped him. Do you see that picture in your head? That they are walking into this town, they walk to this house, they knock on the door, the door opens, and here is this teenage mom, basically. Opens the door, and, and baby Jesus is probably, the commentators will say, a year to two years old. There's nothing significant about him. There's no indicators that this is, he is of royalty, he is of power, he is of authority. They haven't seen his teaching their friends have not been healed by him. And yet, what do they do? They bow down and worship. It has to be one of the, the greatest pictures of faith that we see in the Bible. I mean, maybe you could get the thief on the cross and how he responds to Jesus up there. But think about these individuals, how they pursue Jesus with such diligence. And they worship him. They give their gifts to him. How much more? Should we? Because the Magi are really an example for us today of what it means to respond to Christ at Christmas. How much more should we? We know about his resurrection. We know about his teaching. We know about his, his promises. We know about his truth. We know about we have his word that communicates so much of the richness about him. How much more should we be worshiping him? 
should be diligent to pursue him. Let's pray and ask that God would, would do that, that we would see him with fresh eyes and worship him with renewed hearts. You pray with me. Father God, there is so much uh, from this text to to be um, convicted about and how we think about you and how we respond to you. But help us to take in the depth of these individuals that travel so far and that give so much to worship you. Father God, would you work in our hearts and our lives to give us eyes of faith to behold you, to be renewed in our understanding and vision of you, and that you would get all the glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen.